See, I believe in hope. I believe in belief. Hi, welcome to Coach Beard's Book Club. I'm Michaela, Coach Beard's assistant. Together with Andrea, Bex and Marita, we'll be diving into the books mentioned or seen in the Apple TV series Ted Lasso. So if you love Ted Lasso as much as Colin Hughes loves his Lambo, then join this group of four women, handpicked by Beard himself, and let's go! Hi Greyhounds, welcome back to Coach Beard's Book Club. I'm Michaela, I am Coach Beard's assistant, but I'm not good enough to do this on my own, so I have with me Andrea. Say hello, Andrea. Hi, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> I also have Bex. Say hello, Bex. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Oh, see, she didn't do that to me. No, so that, yeah. I, well, I can't use the same joke. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> and last but not least, we have Marita. How are you, Marita? Hey, how's it going? So this week, um, the book club is having a little treat. We're rolling out the um, big video player for the class and we're having a movie night. <laughs> Just give us a little bit of a break this week till we get on our feet. And we're watching The Iron Giant. And we all know that that was the film that the team watched in Make Rebecca Great Again at Everton when they all had a little cry. Did you all have a little cry? Yes. Yeah. At, the, at the exact minute that he the said 74th, I would. <laughs> the 74th minute. Do you know, because he'd said that and I hadn't seen it, the build-up was almost like Tower of Terror at Disney, you know, where I was like, oh, it's coming, yeah. it's coming, I don't know what it is, and it's, it was very, it was very tense, um, but yeah, it was upsetting, yeah. very upsetting. It's emotional. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a great a great movie you know about a little boy who stumbles across this stumbles across but i mean it's this giant <laughs> robot <laughs> and and stumbles so he, across get nearly trampled by you know those are the yeah, same. same thing saved him from himself he did but uh, they, they became friends and he was trying to save him from the government coming to take him away and mm-hmm. um and it's just a beautiful story. We don't, you know, if you haven't watched it, you should probably go do that before you yeah, listen to this because we're gonna have spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Come back and listen to us after, though, please. Yeah. It's only an hour and like twenty minutes or something. Yeah. So. But we, yeah, we've got a bunch of different takes this week about it, right? Um, yeah. And I, I will know. take it away. <laughs> take yeah, it away. Cool. <laughs> um, so uh, if my co-host here will, you know, give me a moment, I just want to talk as I always do about um the lack of female characters in this thing oh my god um Annie the mother was delightful you know loved mm-hmm. her son she was so yeah she was hardworking. she was so um caring and nurturing uh clearly loved um and she was minimized to that so she worked and she loved her son uh, well, not that there's anything wrong with that you know but she actually also likes her son and I think a lot of people love their kids and don't but because she likes her son that opens up a lot of possibilities for their relationship so it's a bummer that there wasn't yeah more there Mm -hmm. and so she was the only speaking woman I think the only speaking woman in the whole movie uh that horrible scene with uh Kent Mansley when he he they open the door and he's like leaning over and he's like looking at her chest and he's like oh the 90s man it was a time (sighs) <sighs> well and the 90s masquerading is the 50s which is yeah, worse yeah that's yeah mm-hmm. although how great was it that his name was kent mansley like he was totally a man you know like everything about his character was like you know 
So yeah. anyway, but I just had, you know, I have to, I always have to make a comment about that because it drives mm-hmm. me nuts. Right. So. Yeah, Rightly yeah. so, you know, like that, that, that sort of thing needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was um, plenty of opportunities for other, for other, it's not like it was the kind yeah. of story where there couldn't be women, you know, like yeah. an, all-male, an all-male prison story or something, like whatever. Right. <laughs> right. Sha- Shawshank, yeah. 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 yeah, the mother could have been a huge, much bit larger character. She could have been given a lot more. Well, I do also, like that they didn't make it look like she didn't care, though. It was just that she was unsupported. You know, I, that, I did like that because I thought, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to like it if the vibes are she's not giving them enough attention. She doesn't have a bloody time. Do you know what I mean? No, so, she was, I get it. Mm-hmm. She was a great mother. And she, um, that she, uh, at least she was in the movie and the book, actually, there was, I mean, I don't even think there was a woman in the book. Oh, uh, wow. I mean, Marita, you, I think Marita and I were like, actually read it, right? There wasn't even no, a woman in the book. No, lots of farmers and a bat, angel, demon, dragon thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is this the same story? <laughs> no. Oh. It's not. It's the okay. same. It's um, inspired by then, is it? It's no. Loosely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The chewing of the, of the like trucks and stuff, very much in the book. Like everyone was like, why does my truck have a bite out of it? That whole thing. But And then um, my focus, I was, I was thinking a lot about when I was watching this, I was thinking about all the characters and, you know, everything we know about all the characters that we know in Ted Lasso. And um, I think, you know, I, I felt like a lot of these characters, you could almost put them in different places. And I started, as I really started thinking about it, I was like, well, but they were watching this in season one. And season and in the, at that moment in season one, when we saw that movie, there was very particular... Uh, tension on the team that was all based on Jamie Um, and so I started thinking okay well if I'm going to take this movie and just think about season one what do we have right and so again Jamie Jamie is the redemption story Jamie is the one that like you know has to learn is is coming in uh yeah you know like was coming into the team acting like he was all this and that Um, and I know the Iron Giant wasn't posturing like that but he was like I think you know he came in um clearly uh as a weapon right he was brought in as a weapon um yeah yeah, yes and jamie is was a a weapon um in you know in football in scotland we call people a weapon when they're being like annoying or like well it works for that too yeah Yeah, it works there shut at your weapon that sort of thing so okay more Scotland lessons for yeah, us. I'm going to have you all speaking Scots by the end of by the end of the year. I tell you. So, so Jamie obviously was like I said was the redemption arc in the first season. Well, I, you know, I think at the end of the first season he was still not liked quite a bit because he made our team lose. But yeah, um, he got us relegated, man. He got us relegated. He was, um, you know, realizing that you know to use his strength for good. He had, a, you know, I think that was what Ted from the beginning was trying to teach him. You're a great soccer player football player you're a great football player Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, he was right so he's supposed to learn how to use his strengths on the team with everybody right um and that's kind of I think again you know the message about you could choose you know you could choose who you want to be he has that choice right in the moment of the game he can you know I think what athletes do best right when you have a great athlete it's if they're they're reading the whole game and they're choosing when to act, when to be the hero, when to be like, I'm just going to pass it to this person. That person's clearly open, right? Like that's, I think, you know. You think, you think that's flying into the missile as Jamie's passing as his sort of like sacrifice in a way? 
yeah kind of, sac- yeah. kind of sacrifice your in a way yeah mm-hmm. yeah well, and, it's- and it's a bigger sacrifice for jamie than it would for most people because he knows what the penalty for that is going to be when he hears from his yeah. dad and because ego yeah. as well like but well i think no i'm wrong there because i think i initially thought it was ego but i think you're right marita it's probably oh i have to deal with my dad i thought you know so that makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah a little bit of fear right so i think he does kind of it's kind of, it's kind of scared of his dad mm-hmm. i would be that guy is kind of scary he starts to give himself up you know for the the team he start when he starts to when he comes back right and i uh i know i said this is more about season one but just talking about jamie's redemption arc when he comes back in season two it is that he is kind of realizing you know he needs some of these people he needs them he needs people in his life he needs to have these relationships and and that he can give something to a team that he has strengths that are not just about jamie but are about jamie on the team I feel like he fights hard to come back on the team and to have Sam like him again and to realize like, I really am coming back. I don't think he ever says like, I'm coming to say, I'm sorry. I don't think, uh, I don't think he's, just, he's never going to do that. At first we think he's doing it just, you know, not real. He's just doing it like I'll buy them PS5s and he just wants to be liked. And then that's the problem with Jimmy. But the minute after he spoke to Sharon, he does something for somebody else because, because it's right. The right thing right. to do, it's the right instead thing to do. of because it wins him something, you know. So that's another that's a sacrifice in a way. I mean, it's not it's not like if the bar's low. I'm not like way Jamie, like you know, that's what you yeah. should have done anyway. But I'm just saying for Jamie, that is quite a sacrifice. Yeah, just kind of realizing what his potential is and what he's what he's actually worth, you know, and that it isn't just all of this kind of posturing, stupid male stuff that his dad is trying to, you know, like you got to be the, you know, this and that. Like he's more than that in another way realizing your potential also is a, an aspect for Isaac and Roy. Um, I mean, I feel like at this point, Roy has kind of figured it out. Um, but the two of them also, you know, Isaac, and, you know, Isaac is kind of an asshole in the very beginning. I, you know, I, I love my Isaac. It yeah, hurts I say me, that with love, but yeah. It hurts me to even say this. Mm-hmm. But, they were ball busters, weren't they? Yeah, he was kind of a dick to, you know. He was mean. And so, you know, he kind of realizes his strength and his potential to, you know, to kind of lead the team too. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. It was interesting where this film was placed in the story because it really was like, it was almost from the, from this point, the things that changed for Roy and for Isaac were pretty significant, you know, yeah. like Isaac starts to become, he's can be the captain and right. Like Roy sees him, uh, uh, you know, being able to be the captain I love that I, I little like, clock when he tells, um, is it Robbie? I think he te- I think it's Robbie, um, and he tells him to put his phone away, and you just see Roy clock that, and, yes. and then a few episodes later he picks him to be captain, and and those little details I love, especially as well when they come out of the karaoke bar, it is um, both Isaac and Colin carrying Nate on their shoulders, yeah, and they were yes. the two that used to terrorize him the most, so exactly the turnaround, yeah, yeah, and I feel like this like this movie in a lot of ways is that point, is that turning point. Uh, which is what makes this so interesting. Um, I also wanted to comment on um, Hogarth. I also see, I see Hogarth represents Ted. You know, he wants to help people. Uh, he sees good in everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? He's curious, not judgmental. He's curious, not judgmental. Uh, he he takes in every stray he finds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Ted letting um, Jamie back, right? Mm-hmm. Again, the Jamie Ted connection between Hogarth and, and uh, the Iron Giant. 
Um, Sam also had a little bit of Hogar. I, I felt a little bit Hogar uh, and Sam as well. You know, and Sam is just a good person. Sam is someone who cares he's about so people. Pure. Seems to, he's so pure, yeah. He's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I talked about Annie, Kent Mansley, Boo, Rupert Mannion, 100%. Um, of course, yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, Dean. I, I'll I have to admit something. I'm really sorry, right? But you know, on Greg's no. podcast, he has um, what is it now? Worrying Widons, and I can't remember what the boners are like. But it's basically when you're attracted to something that doesn't seem quite right. Uh-huh. Dean is hot as a cartoon. That is literally like the second bullet point on my notes. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, <laughs> like, to take, like to take it away from all this, but that, like that car, that was a worrying widon for me. I wasn't that worried about agree. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just, I don't know what it was, but the instant it came, I was like, oh, all right. Hello. I literally wrote, and for a cartoon, he's kind of dreamy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm with you there. The art, the bohemian artist guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, the heart of it. gold. <laughs> and the voice, I mean, Harry Connick Jr.'s voice is just like hot oh. tea. But anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> We derailed that one on you. Yeah, I got I got horny on the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> we have to. We're gonna. Our rating is gonna go. Wait, what I write? What I we already swear. Oh, so we're we rated. A, we're rated E already. Oh, it's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Anything I'm on is rated E. I'm sorry. It's just I, I bring that kind of energy to everything. And and not like video games. E for everyone. This is E for no. explicit. Yeah. <laughs> so Dean stands up for people, right? He's kind of the he he. Uh, cares about the downtrodden and the people, you know, and I thought there was a lot of, there's a lot of Ted in him. There's a lot of beard in him. Yeah. Right. I think beard also beard has that same, like he sees things in people, you know, uh, he has that same quality. And then Higgins, like, come on, Higgins, like the heart of the team, you know what I mean? Like he's just yeah. so caring and like the way he like invites everyone over to his house and he has no, like, he has no boundaries in the way, you know what I mean? In a good way. Just adorable. <laughs> I want him to be my dad, to be honest. I know. Well, I would, if they could adopt me, mm-hmm. I would fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let me see the other things that were interesting, kind of again, talking a little bit about Dean, but about Hogarth and Earl were the two people who were like talking about this giant and no one believed them, you know? And there was Dean kind of like, Dean is just like walking into the room, like, okay, like, I'm, I'm here to listen to you. Like, just come to me and tell, you know, like, I'm going to listen to you. I'm gonna, oh, and I also made a note. I'm actually ashamed that Andrea, as a 10-year-old child, never thought to put more whipped cream in a Twinkie. Like, come on. When he's watching that <laughs> movie and he's like, he's oh, yeah, they've, right. But they've even... got the holes. Yeah, no. You... How did I never think of that? It works well with ding-dongs, too. We I don't like, get how... Twinkies here. Well, that's where you know art is good. Oh, you don't get Twinkies. Maybe that's well, what I'll send with your jersey. Well, it's only if you want jersey. to pay like seven or eight pound for them. But... Yeah, yeah, maybe they got they artificial stuff in them. You, you all can't have artificial stuff over there. <laughs> and then just, you know, uh, a couple of the comments I, I wrote down is just like away from Ted Lasso and everything, like just what a great comment on the American ego and American problem and the way that we approach the world and right, some ego and some like we want to be the first right? We want to be the first in the moon. We want to be the first to Mars. Like the whole thing about the satellite. He's like, and we didn't, you know, we didn't put it up there. Like, right. Some, like some of the American ingenuity has been good, but some of it's real freaking crap. And I think we're seeing the crap right now. Um, you know, and it's always interesting watching a movie that's talking about something in the past and you're like, this, we're living this today. Like yeah. what a comment on Americana mm-hmm. <laughs> that movie. Right. 
there's an interesting bit too because one of the things like when hogarth meets the giant he's like wait i can't take you to other people they see you they'll shoot you right and that's very american but that's also a line from the wrinkle in time right somebody asks calvin like if if we were to show up on earth what would happen we'd probably shoot at you right and it's yeah was that not ant beast they were talking to the earth? it so might have been yeah. yeah with her purse and her hat and everything <laughs> i make sure to mention ant beast in every episode now the book was just very different from the movie just i don't want to touch too much on the book because the book was just like it was very different but like the beast the uh the the iron giant was uh, now i got beast in my head the giant like he fell to earth in pieces and he slowly started to like reintegrate himself and then he got found and correct me if i have any of this wrong read i kind of read through it really quickly and uh he ends up the boy the little boy ends up screaming to the people in his town you know like there's this this you know this iron beast and this giant and he's you know going to come terrorize us and they figure out how to have him fall in a hole and they cover him up and they cover him up so he can't get out and then they end we end up being attacked by um was it aliens who attacked us uh the bat, a bat dragon yeah that was a bat dragon thing so, <laughs> so the beast dragon thing comes and attacks and uh they they end up convincing the giant to, to you know to fight for them to fight the beast some similarities uh, to the movie uh, but and the fight does involve a spectacular self-sacrifice because it's yes it, it challenges so the, the, the iron giant is effectively like self-immolates multiple times on a fire in like this weird monster equivalent of a drinking contest because then the the bat dragon whatever has to go fly into the sun mm -hmm. um to not be one-upped it's complicated that's a great great way to introduce us into the the connections and parallels to it by like starting looking at season one and sort of that that jamie parallel um i definitely did not go there so i'm very Neither excited to hear all the different places we went yeah and jamie yeah. wasn't jamie wasn't even at the showing of the movie which i think no. is significant to your point as well really is the one person that probably needed the message more or the same as nate wasn't there time for some comments from you greyhounds horticulture baby says I think the main reason they chose the Iron Giant is to let them know they have control over how they behave and who they want to be as people. You are who you choose to be. You choose. Just because they grew up being taught to be certain people and react in a certain way to be tough and to be warriors doesn't mean they can't fight that and choose to be someone else when there's cause for it. If you'd like to contribute a comment to Coach Beards Book Club, then catch us on Twitter at Beards Book Club or email us at coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com. Uh, my notes look like my brain. Everything's everywhere. But what I want, yeah, what I would like to discuss um, thematically with this is mentorship and the theme of mentorship that I believe not only runs throughout the show but comes from the showrunners themselves. In relation to the Iron Giant, the way I see it is there's a sort of mentorship line forming, and it's not the way you would expect it because the Iron Giant is a giant and it's this little boy so you would expect the bigger of the two to be the one that was teaching the lessons or or sometimes I would yeah we don't ex I sometimes don't expect the bigger one to be the one learning and mm -hmm. certainly as Hogarth that is mentoring the giant as to the ways of his world and the, the, you know to try and keep him safe but I believe in a way Dean mentors Hogarth because when Hogarth doesn't know what to do, he, he, I mean, yes, he goes to the scrapyard mainly because it's a all-you-can-eat buffet for the Iron Giant. <laughs> but Dean, you know, he, he does get advice from Dean, and I think he, he sees a little bit of, like, 
Dean as an older version of him, you know, with his curiosity and his willing, mm-hmm. willingness to accept things. So that's that's that that sort of line that I see there. And then to skip back the way before we go forward, I want to talk about Bill Lawrence. And Bill Lawrence is the, sh- the showrunner of Scrubs and also worked with Jason and Joe Kelly and um, Brendan Hunt on Ted Lasso and really was the one that encouraged them to take this advert that had been for the premiership soccer in America. That doesn't count against us. You can't give us a strike for that. Oh, I I thought we had individual strike counts. I've been so careful. So, well, Bill Lawrence ran Scrubs. And if you know, the episode two Biscuits of season one was directed by Zach Braff. I don't know if he's seen his surname right, but that was the lead actor in mm-hmm. Scrubs. So we see there that Bill, there's been a mentorship between him and Zach to the point where he's willing to have him come back and direct. But Jason and the guys also spoke about, Bill was the one to sort of impact on them that this little advert could be turned into a TV show and sort of talked them through it and encouraged them, even when they didn't really believe in it and that's my theme seeing things in people they can't see in themselves Mm -hmm. and that went further down I don't know if you remember that a while back um, there was talk about Brett moving on to show running and he discussed it with Bill and I'm really sorry I can't remember the interview because I've consumed so many of them but Brett was quite hesitant towards it he was like no that's not me you know I I couldn't do that and it was like it felt like imposter syndrome you know like he was saying oh I could never do that and everybody's like what really um but yeah so he has now got a warner brothers deal to be a showrunner and i I think that that really speaks to the sort of mentorship that's running through it is that he himself didn't think he could do it and now suddenly he's doing it and i believe Mm -hmm. behind the scenes we have bill and jason and and all the guys brendan and joe encouraging brett in the same way and it's just a a step 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 ladder of sort of mentorship and it, it goes through the show as well i love that it really does come together when I, I, I listened to an interview from Jason about his mentors and it's from the Hollywood outbreak and it's called Ted Lasso Coaches, the people who mentor Jason Sudeikis. It's about a two minute long interview and Jason goes through people that have encouraged him and it was a basketball coach named Donnie Campbell came to the school at the same time as Jason started the school at the same time and said to him, there's no reason you can't be a, I don't know, basketball positions, I'm sorry. But it was like, you know, you could do this sort of thing. And and he said whether he believed it himself or this guy saying it to him believed it, the fact that somebody believed in him was enough. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he then goes on to say that Tina Fey, when he was at SNL, he was asked to write. Basically, Jason was like, I can't write. I'm, I'm, you know, and Tina Fey, Tina Fey said to him, no, if you can improvise, you can write. And that stuck with him. So another mentor. And then I love that because Tina Fey is just so, so amazing. Like, I just love that, that, that little, it's you know. It's good to hear, isn't it, that she's, yeah. a, it's not only she's amazing, that she's helpful to the people yeah. around her. Because it could be easy in an industry like that not to mentor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm because, the star. I'm the. Yeah. Right, uh, I mean, I've, I've worked in jobs, and I'm sure you ladies have as well, where your boss solely didn't want to train you well in case you were better at the job than them. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be a really ego-driven thing in, a, in an acting industry or an entertainment industry. And it's just beautiful to see that. And I love the fact that it was a woman as well that gave them the encouragement to, to do it. And, and I love that. Um, and then when we on, he said something really great about a speech and debate teacher he had. And I think he was a bit of a clown, troublemaker sort of thing. 
And he said, instead of punishing him, she took him to the side and said, you need to do something with this. So he said additive over like punitive really helped him. She could have just given him a detention, a detention for being, you know, an arsehole in class, but she didn't. She was like, you know, you're funny or you can do something with this, which was interesting to me as well. All of the theme of this is that all of these people have seen something in Jason that he at the time couldn't see himself. And I believe also that is what Hogarth sees and and the Iron Giant, you know, doesn't really know what he is. Is he a weapon? Is he is he not? And he's he, it's a defensive thing with him. With that, it's, it's about seeing in somebody things they can't see themselves. And think about it if we didn't have people like that. Mm-hmm. If, if he hadn't had all these people encourage him, we probably wouldn't have Ted Lasso or any of the other fantastic projects that he's been a part of. So to round this off, I've said that we have Dean, Hogarth and Giant, and then we have Bill, Jason and Brett and all the other guys as well. We have Ted, and I do believe that Ted men- mentors Nate for sure. Who mentored Ted? Yeah, and this is just based on me spending too much time watching American sports. But at the very beginning of Ted Lasso, right, they say that he's just won a national championship with Division II Wichita Shockers, and it's his first season as head coach. And so that means he's only had, you know, he's one year removed from a position where usually college coaches, if they become head coaches, they were an offensive or defensive coordinator for someone else. Mm-hmm. So my assumption is, is that his mentorship came from whatever hood coach he was with, you know, just probably two years ago. Interesting. Mm. That is interesting. I think, I think the only person on the show who could apply would probably be Sharon, Dr. Sharon. I had that noted down as well. That's the, that's the mentorship relationship I can see with Ted Mm. in the show. Um, Well, maybe, and I think Rebecca could be. So mental health wise, they both kind of because Rebecca does what they're both a mess. <laughs> yeah, but she kind of she kind of keeps an eye on them after that, I think, as well, which yeah. could be considered mentorship. But I'm not yeah. so, I'm not so sure. I, I mean, I, this might not be a popular opinion, but I do think that his dad was to a certain extent, at least up until the time oh, of his death, like he did look up to him and he did, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe their relationship wasn't perfect. And I think part of mentoring is also taking from someone the things that you want to do differently than, than who came before you. So Mm. I would, I'd put his father into the mix as well. Um, I feel like we don't know enough story about his mother to add her. I'm sure she's part of it, but uh, I think we don't we're really going to enough... see her in season three. You know, I've got a funny feeling we're, we're going to get to meet Ted's mom in season three. But I like the, the fact that his father's a mentor because I think it would be easy to dismiss his father for what happened. But mm-hmm. if we remember, Ted did say he was a lot harder on himself than he ever was on me talking about Ted. Right. And so... I think Ted is hard on himself in a way that he doesn't necessarily way. articulate or even recognize. In the book, you know, his dad, when he hadn't read the book for his homework or something, and his dad yes. like, read the mm. whole thing, and, and uh, that's some that's some top dad behavior, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't think because of his mental health struggles and he's, he's in, you know, subsequent law, you know, loss of life to depression or whatever it was, um, dis- discounts him from being a mentor. Right. And I like that. I do. That's my yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. Now I asked a question I didn't really have an answer to, so I'm, I was interested. You know, like it's not that's like that's a plus teacher or... move right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we we're all wrong, and I have the right answer. No, I right. don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't have a. Clue. I think it is an amalgamation though, because if Jason's talking about five or six people that have been mentors, then I don't believe Ted's only had one. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in the coach side of things as well. To like, 
I wonder if we'd ever get to see, wouldn't it be interesting to have like an American older actor come over and be like Ted's ex, ex coach or he was the assistant to or something. I, yeah. you know, there's so many opportunities to kind of oh, yeah. pull it together. I love it. Let's take a quick pause for our listeners' comments. This is a lovely point from Bohemian Sis. The Iron Giant is transformed by the love, encouragement and belief from Hogarth, much like everyone who spends time with Ted is similarly transformed. Yeah, I think I can segue from that because I see a character in Ted Lasso in one of the Iron Giant characters that hasn't been looked at yet. And um, and that is for me seeing uh, Roy Kent in, in Dean... Dean McCoppin, apparently. Oh, I didn't even know his surname. Well, oh, yeah. I, IMDb is my friend. <laughs> but Harry that's, Connick Jr. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's such interesting. A, that's such a beatnik last name, too, McCoppin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there really, there's just something about him that you love when you start watching the movie. And yes, like that, that sort of like, should I be attracted to a cartoon because he's kind of dreamy? Can't help right? it. It's yeah. happening whether I want it to or not. That chin, that chin he had. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know he's gruff too, but like you can tell right away that he's got this soft interior. Like he's Hi. he's acting tougher than he really is. Immediately from that moment when the fisherman's telling the story about this giant and blah blah blah, and everyone's laughing at him, he stands up for him, right? And he's like, yeah, you know, I. I saw it or or whatever it was he said, but he didn't. He didn't see it. He didn't experience it. But he agreed because he wanted to stand up for the little guy. He says, you know, if we don't stand up for the kooks, who will? Now, that's probably not the most inclusive, slightly problematic language. <laughs> yeah. But but as a, as a sort of whatever you would replace the word kook with, I appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes, yes. Dean has been there. He's been that person that people haven't believed or he's been that misfit. He doesn't quite fit in. He knows what it's like to be an outcast. And I mean, he's a scrap metal artist. He's not like, like, and he lives in Maine where all these people are just like, you know, blue collar workers or fishermen or, you know, like he doesn't seem to necessarily have any people. He's sort of a uh, slightly isolated that also is uh, very Roy so far, so yeah. Like, yeah, uh, but he also boosts the confidence of those around him. And I do see this with Roy, especially with Phoebe, yeah. right? Like this is to me is why Roy and Dean have so much in common, but also mm. with Isaac in season two yeah. um, and with Sam to a certain extent as well, right? Like he always seems to have these words of encouragement, even though he tries to be so gruff and tough and he's like, rrr, rrr, rrr. but he plays princess with Phoebe. Like he's there. Yeah. He's a softy, right? Yeah. Princess and the dragon, but he never I gets need, to be I, the I dragon. Call, you know how we get callbacks in Ted where they mention something and then in the next like two or three episodes, I need to see him playing dragon and princess with Phoebe. Yes. I, I want yeah. a tiara and a wand. I want all. And, and the wand needs to still be broken because needs she to needs to still to... be broken. <laughs> Absolutely. Like there's a point when Dean is telling Hogarth, you know, who cares what those creeps think? They don't decide who you are. You are who you choose to be. And, you know, maybe that's a a somewhat idealistic response, but it is what Hogarth needs at this point, right? He needs to be held up this way. Um, My my nephew has a t-shirt with this on it. He absolutely loves the movie, The Iron Giant. So I was very excited to to do this episode, but I think it really is a, a good quote for the movie and for this Dean Hogarth relationship, 
but also Leroy and Phoebe relationship. Um, so I have a couple examples and some of them come from season two. So the, the payoff comes a bit later, but like Phoebe with the bad breath situation, yeah. right? Like uh-huh. he's determined to find a solution. Now his mm-hmm. first solution is like punch the kid. Like <laughs> he can't go beat up a, a six-year-old, but okay, Roy. Um, but he knows that's not realistic. And and then they come up with that love actually plan mm-hmm. thing. And, yes. and that's his idea because he asks, he asks the right. the pharmacist to open up again and and give him the the poster board or whatever. So he's there. He's supportive. He's got these ideas, this like, let's take this approach and and try it out. The whole thing with Isaac when he's going through his slump as a captain, mm-hmm. right? Taking yeah. him to go play street ball and reminding Isaac that like, no one is a mentor. Yeah, he really is. It just he, reluctantly. Don't you think? He's oh, yeah. But mentor, same with yeah. Dean, right? Dean isn't looking to befriend this little kid. Like, he's mm-hmm. just like, what are you doing here? Right. Roy lets Isaac know that no one cares who he is as much as he does and that he should just be himself, have fun, enjoy the game the way that he wants without the pressure of the press or the fans. Yes. Right. Because that's what's bringing Isaac down. Mm-hmm. And it's these bullies at school that are bringing Hogarth down and, yes. and these mentors that it ties in, they're saying like, Hey, fuck them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, obviously in the iron giant, they say it good more advice. nicely than that. <laughs> it's good advice though. And even with Sam, right. When Jamie is targeting him early on in season one, he gives Sam an example of a positive teammate, right? Just like Dean gives Hogarth an example of a positive adult male figure because his father isn't in the picture. We don't know why or how or, you know, that part of the story doesn't seem to matter. Mm-hmm. But it's only him and his mom and his mom is working so hard and does her best. This gives him a positive male figure in his life. Mm-hmm. And that male figure, what I love, and it's not relevant to Ted Lasso, but what I love is that male figure. And some storylines, what you would get is that man wanting to befriend the child to get close to the mother because she's hot yes. or something. And we just, yeah. I love that it didn't go there. It really I mean, it's just them. Yeah. Yes. I mean, well, yes. They, that's they, not why he befriended yes. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, going back to the Roy Phoebe thing for a minute, you know, I want to add Keely into the mix. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Roy isn't kind to Phoebe because he's trying to impress a woman right Mm -hmm. but it it does impress her when she sees it you know but this at the end of the film Dean and Annie do get together right they they talk about how they're a family now and you can't blame her you just can't blame her I'm sorry like I mean (laughs) I would have done that same Annie same (laughs) but you know they're shown as a family unit just like Roy and Keely and Phoebe are you know we we've never met Phoebe's mother and we know she's oh, hardworking and everything though, oh yeah the emergency room with Dr. Oh, Sharon that's true that could be but we it's not confirmed yet but that is a possibility you're very right you're very right and I also see parallels between Dean and Roy with their attempts to not be a fan of the Iron Giant or Ted Mm-hmm. right like yeah. but they end up being fans of them and supportive of them by by the end of the story but I do want to speak a little bit about Ted and the Iron Giant because it, you know everybody seems to have a different character they think is the Iron Giant and for me the Iron Giant is Ted yeah um, everyone's afraid of the Iron Giant and everyone's afraid Ted's gonna fuck up real bad right the army attacks without knowing what the Iron Giant is and the fans go after Ted before they understand his approach. It's sort of this shoot first, ask questions later thing with the Iron Giant. And with Ted, it's, you know, metaphorically anyway, 
a similar thing. Like they're shooting Mm -hmm. at him with their words. They're targeting him. And the Iron Giant acts defensively here. He's not being mean intentionally. He's just reacting. He's being defensive. And this seems like a thing to sort of say to the team. Like, I think this is part of Ted's message to the team. Like, hey, you might not know why people, not just Ted, but people in general, do something or act a certain way. So be sure to give them a chance and find out their story. Find out what their deal is. Try to Mm -hmm. get to know them. The Iron Giant has his issues. He's imperfect. Ted has his problems. And Ted blows up. You know, we're talking about um, the Nate moment when he slid Mm. the letter under the door. Yeah, yeah. And lost his shit, didn't he? He really flipped out on him. He mm-hmm. just he he snapped. And it was unrelated to Nate, just like it was unrelated to Hogarth when he he targeted him. And Ted's panic attacks kind of remind me of the Iron Giant's reaction to seeing the gun. Mm. Right? It's a trigger. It's a panic attack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no pun a intended, but checker, it, yeah. Yeah, no pun intended, but it's it's a trigger, right? And it sets him off just as different things set off Ted's panic attacks. Like you never know when it's going to happen, but this is something that that put him on the the defense. And and the Iron Giant, he sacrifices himself to save everyone or to do something like sort of for the greater good. And and to me, I see that as Ted putting everyone else first before he takes care of himself. So not necessarily the same degree of sacrifice, but this idea of putting people uh, before you and before you take care of yourself, mm-hmm. which can be good, but can have disastrous consequences. It's uh, like everything, everything in moderation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One other random parallel I just want to throw out there that's unrelated and sort of twists all this on, those, on its head a bit. Those are the ones we love, Bex. We love those ones. When Hogarth decides not to be scared of the Iron Giant anymore, it, it was like Rebecca and Keeley's relationship and Keeley deciding yeah. not to be afraid of Rebecca. That's so cute. <laughs> I love that. That is so cute. But the thing is, Rebecca didn't even realize that Keeley was afraid of her. And yeah. the, Iron, the Iron Giant doesn't think about how he scared Hogarth. He just... Mm-hmm is who he is but right? also there's another parallel with that because um the iron giant doesn't go after um hogarth and attack him because he remembers that hogarth saved him when they first encountered yes. that could be a keely and rebecca thing as well because you know i think keely did pull rebecca back from the path that she was going down be mm-hmm. it intentional or not so yeah that's a really good parallel so it's just that scene with hogarth and the giant when uh yeah, when the giant like starts to follow him and then he like gives him the thing and he falls down on his butt yeah. and they're showing, teaching him how to say rock and tree. Oh my God. I was, I almost cried there too. I was just like, oh my God. But that's also like so Ted cute. because he has to be taught, you know, different words. Yeah. Things, like Off the boot and the boot and the boot and, you know. Yeah. The boot and the boot. Yeah. Yeah, so I get the book for putting boots in the boot. Yeah, so he's got, so he has got, he's in another world having to learn new words, essentially. So, yeah, he really is. So, you know, I just, I'm fascinated by the fact that we all had different people assigned to the Iron Giant and to, um, to Dean and and Hogarth and all of this. Um, so Marita probably, she's probably got something altogether different that she's gonna come at us with. (laughs) Let's see what you Greyhound have to say. Bohemian Sis believes that Ted is Hogarth and the team, Rebecca, Nate, Higgins, Keeley, Trent, Sharon and more, are all Iron Giants. She believes that Coach Beard defies categorization here and that he falls between Ted and every other character in the show because he is both. Lil Biquette on Twitter says you are who you choose to be. 
used to have a pic with that quote above my oldest kid's desk. Definitely linked to the Ted Lasso theme, we all experience childhood with ups and downs, but in the end, it's up to us to decide which path we embark on. <laughs> all right, so I, you know, like to do dives through the literature. There's not a whole lot on the Iron Giant, but I found this really great paper in what's called the Journal of the Fantastic in the Arts by someone named T.S. Miller, and it's called Frankenstein Without Frankenstein, The Iron Giant and the Absent Creator. So I'm going to drag mm. a whole other novel into this talk. <laughs> um, I'm down. Okay, I'm and, ready. Okay, and so I'm going to Frankenstein. I'm going to quote from the article. Uh, here and it says on the most basic level the iron giant tells the tale of an artificial being that in precise contrast to the frankenstein monster receives the proper nurturing and moral education from a warm-hearted surrogate parrot accordingly bird's giant learns to reject the same rancorous violence to which shelley's unloved monster claims to have no other recourse and it, it's a brilliant paper it's well constructed right and so i think uh probably reminder here for people who haven't whose familiarity with Frankenstein is more like the the James Whale movie or something um with Frankenstein's creature we actually have someone who was brought into the world by a creature that immediately rejects him right Victor Frankenstein just immediately runs off and he wanders around and he self-educates and I think it's really really important to the point I'm making and also to understanding Frankenstein that he's Frankenstein's creature is brilliant. He self-educates. He he's incredibly eloquent. He speaks and he tries really hard to be kind and is just met with violence and rejection. And so this just spirals into this murderous revenge driven killing spree. Basically that's, that's Frankenstein. And so then we have the iron giant and we have this creation. We don't know anything about the creator. It's left completely out of the movie. We have no idea where he came from. Right. But he's obviously meant to be a weapon. So he could easily go on a similar sort of murderous killing spree that Frankenstein's creature does, but he doesn't because he runs into this pair of surrogate parents. He runs into Hogarth and then Dean who care for him and nurture him and teach him. And that allows him to override that weapon identity and sort of save the day. And so the reason I think this is relevant to this because uh, the paper is brilliantly constructed, it makes a lot of really good points, drawing together Frankenstein and Iron Giant is, you know, I'm like, well, hey, Nate's last name is Shelley. And that's maybe not a super common last name, right? That was my Why face, did Bex, that sorry. not even occur to me? <laughs> I've been listening right now. Bex's face just went like full jaw drop. And that's when I heard about this, that's what I did as well. Okay. And so if you look at Nate's arc through both of the two seasons, you can see this tension between Nate, who came from this casually cruel. I mean, we see Nate's father in season two. We hear stories. Mm -hmm. Nate's father is just emotionally abusive and awful. He's but an then he's asshole. also. He absolutely yes. is. And his mom seems really sweet, but she totally gaslights Nate, right? Because she's like, oh, your father, you know? And so, like, yeah, Nate, oh, it's all fine. Yeah, right. she's just responsible for that because yeah. there is, I mean, I don't I, have kids, but there's absolutely no way that I would let my partner treat No, if anyone, if anyone spoke to my son like that, I, I cannot mm -hmm. even. Yeah, so then he starts getting this mentoring and guidance from Beard. And so he's got this arc that's sort of a tension intermediate between these two things. So I decided to go back through and kind of see what we can see from either the novel or or the film that relates back to Nate. And so one of the, the first things, um, the James Whale Frankenstein, the film from 1931, has so it's slightly more related to the novel than the Iron Giant movie is to the Iron Giant book, right? Yeah. But it it has a very very iconic scene that everybody knows, right? It's the lightning strikes that animate uh -huh. the creature that it's alive, which is interesting because in the novel mm. Victor Frankenstein does not say he will not say how he animated the creature. It's the lightning. There's lightning in the book, but that's not how he gave it the jolt of life, right? right? Okay, and but it's a 
pivotal point in the Frankenstein film because that's the creation of the monster. And then in the Iron Giant, we also have this jolt of electricity that's a pivotal plot point, right? Mm -hmm. Because he goes and he starts munching on the power station and he's like stuck there and he's in trouble. Mm -hmm. And Hogarth comes and flips the switch for him. So that's when he knows that he's found a friend and he starts to build this bond. So what we see here is we have the whole team watching the movie and they're enraptured in the movie, right? And we're about to see the three people who are not paying attention to the movie, right? And they're talking. Um, But what's important here is the scene, because we're going to see Beard, Ted, and Nate talking, the scene that's showing behind them. It's the Frankenstein moment. And Nate's there. Wow, Marita. So so what's happening here, right? This is the first time that Ted really asks Nate, and he says specifically to Nate, if you were me, what would you tell these guys? No! I mean, am I for Cocoa Plus thing we can beat these guys tomorrow? No, we match up perfectly. Exactly. What about you, Nate? You believe these guys can win? No, I believe this team couldn't do anything. See, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, Nate, so if you were me, what would you tell these guys? This is the creation of Nate as a monster because this is when he goes on to create that absolute roast. <laughs> I can't, I can't handle all of this. This is Rita, no. This it's is amazing. I did warn you. It's fucking phenomenal. Right. So, so, so this is the creation of Nate because that's when he goes on to be, and, and like the scene in the locker room at Everton is funny, but he's an asshole, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. This is the, the creation of, of Nate as a monster. We go on and I'm kind of staying parallel to the, the comparisons between Frankenstein and Iron Giant in that article. So like early in all three storylines, we have the character in question endearing itself to people around. So in Frankenstein, he tries to endear himself to the DeLacy family by doing a bunch of chores, chopping wood for them and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So in the Iron Giant, the way the Iron Giant kind of endears himself to Dean is when Dean starts talking about, like, don't eat my art, this is art, the Iron Giant starts making art out of junk too, right? Yeah. Right? It's like solely cute. So one of the first... One of the first things Nate does that endears us, like a glimpse into Nate's personal life, is when he makes with his niece the box out of junk. Yeah. Right? The suggestion boxes that he brings in. And I think we can make a pretty big argument. And I don't think anybody would be arguing too much that Ted and Beard are surrogate parents to Nate, right? The language they use with him, they're always calling him buddy, you know, like do better. Do better. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard that. I don't know. Maybe maybe y'all's parents didn't say that, but <laughs> well, and, and and like even like when he's when they have to go find him, they send the search party for him in Liverpool, right? Because he's sleeping in the bus. Like if any of the players just disappeared for the night, they would assume he went off with a woman, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like or just on his own. Like Nate's the one who gets the search party because he's their 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 kid, effectively. Like an absolute parent move is after they win um, the game in tan lines, right? And Nate jumps up onto Ted and like reverse piggyback, or, like wraps mm-hmm. his legs around him, right? And so it's not just that because he's like, oh, sorry, sorry. And Ted's like, no, love this energy. But then he, Ted needs to do something else and he just hands him off the beard he's like here take this guy and it's like the same pose from he's mom to dad or dad yeah, to he's mom. Like, it is such a co-parenting <laughs> oh, <laughs> i love beard's it got that feminine energy and beard's got the sort of like beard's the sort of hard one like do better without any other like context and yeah tends to do the, the sort of right like, not sure stuff you know? so in terms of seeing ted and beard as surrogate parents and sort of seeing them in hogarth and dean i mean with ted as hogarth 
like he's this bright idealistic kid he's absolutely determined to see the best in people um he's lost his dad i'm pretty sure we get that really quick cue because right before he goes to bed while kent mansley's watching him he puts on his helmet and you see the picture of his dad with the same helmet in front of a plane so he probably lost his dad in either world war ii or korea based on the timing oh yeah he has this like I said earlier, absolute compulsion to take in stray and strange creatures. So he'll see the good in someone like when no one else does. And in terms of Dean, like he's cynical, he sort of instinctively protects Hogarth, uh, including from the giant, especially getting into season two, you see Beard being very protective of Ted from Nate's wrath, right? So he's he's more practical of the pair, but he kind of goes along with what Hogarth wants to do most of the time. And there's a couple of scenes in the film where I could just absolutely see Brendan Hunt in the live action version as Dean, um, specifically uh, when the squirrel's in his pants in the restaurant and he stands up and he's going to be, he's like, I'm, I love it. Apologize for what I am about to do. <laughs> right. You just absolutely see that. And the other one is, is after the iron giant does the cannonball and he gets washed back in the chair and the pig farmer pulls up. Yeah. yeah. Like, hello. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you're in the middle of the road. Yeah. that is weird yeah that no it's it's definitely beard to me and and so that's that's why i am seeing those and i also have to say if anyone in that entire film of the iron giant were going to show some show up somewhere having sipped from the wrong pot of tea it would be dean um dean would be the guy who showed up accidentally stoned i mean he's the beatnik kind of guy he definitely would be that's just what i see accidentally (laughs) wait so can we just can we just recap like Andrea, who is your dean? My my dean, I, I I said either Ted Beard or Higgins. Okay, he had a little right. bit of all three of them. Ted Beard or Higgins, yeah. And then I went with Roy and Michaela. You had a wide on for him. <laughs> yes. So 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 there is my plug for Beard as dean. But getting back to the the Frankenstein Iron Giant theme. So one of the the big arguments made in the article that I've been referencing, it talks about the huge difference in in, in outcomes being related to the nurturing and guidance that they get during their education. So we have Frankenstein's creature, he's a total autodidact, right? He learns to speak French and he learns to read just kind of by watching this family through a hole in their wall. And he finds this satchel of books like in the woods and he reads them, right? Like, and it's pretty bleak. Uh, you know, he the satchel has Goethe, it has Milton in there. So he's reading Paradise Lost and kind of relating to both Adam and Satan in Paradise Lost. And eventually he comes down very firmly on the Satan side, right? So when we have the Iron Giant, like, and again, this is not my observation, this is from the article. But when we have the Iron Giant, he gets his education of his own because Hogarth, when he's stuck in the barn, gives him all these books, right? He gets a Mad Magazine, he gets a Boy's Life, and he gets comics. And he gets his own version of Adam and Satan. He gets Superman and he gets Atomo. Mm. Okay. And so if we look at Nate, we look at the choices he gets and he's, you know, as many books as there are in the show, he's not given books. But if we look at where he's reinforced in his education, right? And and this is where I went totally down the rabbit hole. And I did a two season rewatch focused on everything from Nate's perspective. So we can either get Nate when he behaves like Ted or Nate when he has some more toxic version of masculinity. And when you look at what gets reinforced, like the only people who are nice to him for actually being a good person are Ted and occasionally Keely. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Otherwise, you know, he comes up with this great idea for a play. Ted and Beard support him. But what happens when he gets back in the locker room after that first play? Like Isaac and Colin are still bullying him. They're beating him up and they're joking about it. Careful, that's our new gaffer, right? The first time he gets good feedback from Roy is actually when they're really upset about the loss and he like elbows Ted's office window, that foreshadowing that he's going to backstab Ted, right? And Roy's like, good lad, right? So he's only getting this feedback from Roy when he's done something violent. And the team doesn't respect him until he gives that asshole roast in the pregame, right? Like Colin and Isaac are horrible to him before that. And after Mm -hmm. he trashes on everybody, right? They're drinking shots with him at the karaoke bar. They're carrying him out on the shoulders, right? And so most of the time, anytime he gets a sense of feedback from the team or any sort of sense of belonging, it's not because he's been kind. It's because he's done something in this toxic masculinity vein, Mm -hmm. his education there, there's no real positive feedback loop for not being a dick when Ted isn't paying attention to him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so it's worth worth mentioning here because we're talking about, you know, the the Milton, the Adam and the Satan, and we're talking about Superman and Atomo. If you look at how Nate brands himself, we get the almost similar language but a really different connotative meaning of wonder kid right Mm -hmm. superman wonder kid once again the first two shots i'm going to show you these are things that were pointed out by the article i came but there's a shot in the film version of frankenstein that's almost directly visually quoted in the in the iron giant Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're both again at pivotal points for the characters right so right here we've got frankenstein and he's about to try to befriend this little girl right and so this is a pivotal point for him because i have you all seen this movie no okay so what's going to happen here is she's playing with flowers and she gives him flowers and he's trying to be nice and she throws flowers in the water in the lake to show that they float and he's like oh that's nice and he ends up it's implied throwing her in the water and she drowns and so this is what causes the villagers to go all like torches and pitchforks after Frankenstein, right? This is like a pivotal moment for this creature because before that he hasn't really killed anyone who didn't deserve it. Um, so, but, but the important visual iconography here is we've got the, the threat and he's on the left-hand side and he's got this right hand extended out to someone else, okay? So the visual quote, if we look at the Iron Giant, um, is this scene where we're all about to cry, right? We've got the Iron Giant here, and he's the threat, and he's got the gun extended down to Hogarth. And it's, again, a pivotal moment, because this is when Hogarth is bravely telling him he doesn't have to be a gun, okay? So these, these scenes are constructed in the same way. And so I was looking through and trying to find a way in some scene in Ted Lasso that looks like this, and I fully expected to see Nate on the right side of the screen, but that's actually, if you think about it, visually kind of hard to, excuse me, Nate on the left side of the screen, visually hard to do um, because he's just a smaller guy than the rest of the cast. And so how do you do that visually? And so I showed this to Michaela, and I'm not sure she was convinced, but I actually think it could be coincidence. I mean, you know what they say about coincidences. Sometimes they just happen. But we've got this. And this is a pivotal moment for Nate, right? This is the surprise mm. when they're going to tell him, right, that he's become a coach. But it's when he first meets Will. And why this is interesting to me is because it, it does echo that shot. Maybe it's not mm. intentional. Maybe it, is a, maybe it is a coincidence. But in all three of the shots, we've got the threat to the left. And the thing about Nate is he sees everybody as a threat. He even sees this goofy kid who's just come into the lawn, do the laundry as a threat. And so it it looks to me like this is a visual reference um, as a thread that runs through all three things. Mm -hmm. Wow. Holy crap. I'm blown away. So like at this point, 
Nate sees everyone as a threat, right? And his programming is as a gun because look at who his dad is. Look at how he's learned to respond to everything, right? And we see that he immediately attacks anyone as he see, that he sees as a threat, right? The Iron Giant will go after Hogarth when Hogarth points the, the fake gun at him, right? Mm-hmm. Nate goes after anyone for any reason because immediately after he goes after Will, right? Rebecca comes in the room. Right. And was he saying, yeah, you did this, you shrew. Right. He will immediately snap on anyone. We even see it in season two, like in episode 10, you know, after Rebecca's father's died and they're all talking about what happens after death. Right. And there's some reincarnation jokes. And Nate says he wants to come back as a tiger and ravage anyone who looks at him wrong. And mm-hmm. he's just so wound up that absolutely everything is a threat. So that one, I have to say, that one made me pause for a minute because. When people ever ask, like, what superpower you want, I always want laser eyes. <laughs> so I was like, damn, am I Nate? Like, I hope not. <laughs> okay, so we have the same episode that starts with Nate Roshan. So that last episode of season one, right? And we get Ted FaceTiming. And it's, I think, the longest FaceTime that we ever see of him and Henry. Um And Henry asks about coaching and Ted tells him, and here's a quote, it ain't like being a football coach back home, kiddo. I got a lot less control because once the game gets going, I can't tell my fellows what to do. So I just got to hope everything I've been trying to teach him made some sort of impact on them and they'll make the right decisions when they're out on their own. You know, kind of like being a dad, I guess. And the reason that was interesting to me is because he's relating coaching to being a dad, but it's also really relevant to his relationship with Nate. So like if Nate is the iron giant, Ted is about to turn him loose and hope that he's parented well enough. Right. But then Ted asks Henry, he's like, how much of that did you get before you checked out? And Henry goes, I drew a robot. I'm doing the American accent. It's really bad. (laughs) So we've talked about Ted as Hogarth a bit. But I think it's also useful to look at a little bit of a comparison between Ted and Victor Frankenstein, because a part of Nate's problem in season two is that he feels abandoned. That very much more throws Nate off the Frankenstein's creature arc, right? And so if you look at like Victor Frankenstein's rationale for why he started reanimating dead tissue, it was he was so upset because he lost his mom like young she died of scarlet fever right he wants to fight against death because of this right this is his motivation and so late in season two when we learn about ted's father's suicide and we hear him talk about i you know decided right then and there no one was ever going to get past me without me realizing they might be hurting right his motivation for going after strays like nate has to do with his parents death in the same way that you know it's a much healthier way i think than trying to create zombie people um, but he gets yeah. that motivation from a, losing a parent prematurely. Another hint we have that Nate's story might be echoing the Iron Giant. We can actually look at the opening scene to season two, right? So someone, and I think it might've been on the Peanut Butter and Biscuits podcast, but someone very astutely pointed out that the first two seasons have had opened and closed on shots that bookended whose arc it was really going to be, right? So season one opens on Rebecca. It closes on Rebecca when she just got a spit take in the face, right? Mm-hmm. So season two, so we're going to zoom in. And, th- and this is the exact opening. This is the fade in from black from the start of season two. Sanya switches play. He finds Rojas, who has moved. Oh! And it's a penalty! Giant opportunity. Um, let me stop the share here. Um, that's when... There's the penalty shot. It's the one where Danny ends up killing the dog, right? But what the announcer actually says when he talks about, oh, it's a penalty shot, a giant opportunity, um, which is, I think, a, a big cue in to sort of, or a callback to what we're going to see. 
things that Nate has a lot more in common with Frankenstein's creature, he feels like an outsider and he desperately wants a companion, right? So the creature talks in the novel when he's actually doing the part of the narration about how much envy and anger he develops. And Nate has the anger really early in the show. You know, that first time when they talk about trying his plan on and they strut, right? I only picked up on it because it's in the captions, but Ted looks at him. He's like, you look a little angry, but that's okay. Right. So Nate's anger is already there, but it starts coming out more and more and kind of no matter how much they try to bring Nate into the group, he always he says the wrong thing or just reads like an outsider. And there's a quote from Frankenstein's creature in the book that says increase of knowledge only discovered to me more clearly what a wretched outcast I was. And so it's like Nate's always seen this world from the outside. And as he comes into it and he knows more and more about it, he, you know, tries to fit and it just doesn't work. And that gets exacerbated because Roy comes into coach and, you know, he's a junior coach to Nate at that point, but immediately just kind of hops over him in terms of everyone's respect and what everyone's listened to. Right. Nate's got this horrible self-loathing. And there's a scene in the novel where the creature catches a look of itself in like a reflection, like a puddle or a lake. And it's just instant revulsion. Right. And we've got those two scenes um, I think one in each season of Ted Lasso. No, they're both in the second season where Nate sees himself in the, and spits in his reflection in the mirror, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we get all of this. And then even though the creature has already killed a few people in the novel, he gets to a point where he actually confronts Frankenstein. Basically, if he can get a con- female companion, if he can just get a woman, he will be fine, right? Someone who will accept him, make me a woman, right? Not, not make me into a woman, but make a woman for me, right? And I'll just, I'll stop killing. It'll be cool. We'll just go somewhere else and that'll be fine. And so what's interesting about that and the parallel here is strikes out with women all the time, right? He, you know, strikes out with the the hostess at the Greek restaurant. And like when he tries to kiss Keely and she rejects him. And I have to add in the gentlest way possible, like if I was going to be rejected, it could not be any smoother than that because it's like, no, don't worry about it. We'll just pretend it's nothing happened and nothing's weird. Right. But he takes it very hard. And that is arguably the tipping point where he goes to the point of no return in Mm -hmm. terms of going full evil. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so like we have the Frankenstein novel, he doesn't get the woman, he doesn't get what he wants. And he just keeps going on this revenge murder spree and he shadows Victor Frankenstein and kills people that he cares about, right? So Nate doesn't get Keeley, and what does he do? He goes to Trent Krim and trashes Ted to the press, and then he symbolically murders the believe sign, right? He so- literally murdered that sign. That sign <laughs> was like, not symbolically. Yeah. <laughs> that sign was a character, and it is dead. <laughs> So, so to finish, I have one more video to show. And what I'm going to show you is the end of the Iron Giant. And I'm going to show you the end of season two of Ted Lasso. Oh, I'm excited for this. <laughs> this is great. I love this. MVP. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so this is the very last scene in the Iron Giant. Right. And we're worried because, you know, he got blown to bits. Uh, he's destroyed himself to save the world. But now we know we're up in Iceland. We've seen the, the screw that Hogarth got that sort of, you know, wiggled and Hogarth knew it wanted to go. And now we're going to do the zoom in. It lives. It's alive. Right. OK, so we zoom in on the face. His eyes pop open. Right. Mm-hmm. And the lights come on in his eyes. So we know because we've seen earlier in the movie, he can do it. He's about to do this like autopoietic sort of self reconstruction. OK, so now we're going to see a clip and it's the very, very last bit of season two. And we're going to start in zooming on Nate. And I'm going to tell you in advance what's really important is because it happens really fast. I want you to watch his eye. If you'd like to see what Marita is referencing, check out the one hour, two minute mark on the YouTube video of Beard's Book Club. 
Do you guys see it? The raise of the well. eyebrow. Well, no, the, it's not the raise of the eyebrow. I mean, the raise of the eyebrow is kind of like the little smile on the Iron Giant's face. Um, it's a reflection Andre, of the light, right? The light goes out in his eyes. Oh, There's like a, 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 a white reflection in his eyes, and I and would not have noticed away. that if it had not been pointed out. But yeah, yeah. So, so cool when you see it. But yeah, so they turn the catch lights off in his eyes. Right, so that's, again, strikes me as like a direct visual reference to the end of Iron Giant. But instead of this, you know, self-creation and this wonderful thing and he's about to restart, is it just that Nate's evil? Is he about to self-destruct? I, I think it's kind of a, a nice little tease into what's going to happen for season three. But I was pleasantly surprised because I, I I do think I found things that were pretty compelling in Ted Lasso that that point back to that with the Iron yeah, that's, Giant. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> no shit did you find stuff like that. That was outstanding. But it does lead me to what I think is a good question for us to all consider before we move into season three is, is Nate redeemable? Is his, is the light going out as Marita is talking about in contrast to the iron giant whose eyes light up? Is he, you know, is he redeemable? Is there any chance of him coming back the way the iron giant is coming back or are we going to see him self-destruct? So I'm curious to hear what y'all think. Well, I wonder too. And like, how is he right? Like, is, is, what is he going to sacrifice to come back to, to prove to everybody? Wait, so, Tom. Well, that's that's <laughs> right? kind of my theory is that like he, I don't, I don't know if he'll be able to come back together the way the iron giant does and, 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 recreate himself but i think he will blow himself up like he will mm -hmm. sacrifice the position he has at west ham yeah. to redeem himself to the team and he's gonna sacrifice his his own career for that I, that that's my that's my hopeful theory but now that i'm looking at the lights going out in his eyes i'm not so sure <laughs> See, so I have a little bit different read because I, I, you know, this show loves a good redemption arc and I, I do expect him to come through at the end. But looking at Nate, I'm not sure it's the, the initial self-destruction is going to be a voluntary one because what he doesn't understand about what Ted does, because he absolutely thinks he should be in Ted's position, right? I could be Ted. I could do this. I know more about soccer. But what he cannot do, Ted can let stuff roll off his back. People can say anything to Ted and he's fine, right? But doing this like Nate-centric read-through or watch-through of the first two seasons, you know, like, so after he has his Wonder Kid moment, he's constantly scrolling through Twitter. He like reads them all and he looks at some articles and he's very happy, but he fixates on this one comment that is like, like, well, he may have won the game, but he still seems like a loser to me. It's something like that. And, and like literally coaching T-ball, I got worse than that. And so if that's Nate's level of thin skin, his chances of lasting more than a couple of weeks as a premiership league manager. He couldn't do bar work. He could never survive in oh, bar work. No service work at all. Worse than that. Yeah. Right. He can't survive in an office, please. The stuff I do, you know, in corporate America. <laughs> well, and that's it. It's like, I understand that it's difficult for him to see, like he finally had someone in Ted that was lifting him up. And when Ted didn't have the space to give him his everything he thought that he was being given up on he doesn't have the tools to cope with only sort of like okay now you're on your own like he he can't do that on your own bit and i'm worried about the way rupert is going to manipulate him in in that mm -hmm. position 
So I don't I'm know. A, yeah. I'm a full on yes, Nate can be redeemed. And I relate to the Twitter thing. And the reason is I've done a bit of stand up comedy and you can make 99% of the room laugh and there's one person who just looks grumpy or says something or isn't interested and you just focus on that. Like, I think it's a human thing. You know, you could have all the praise in the world, but when one person says, it's your sort of instinct to doubt yourself. So you're like looking for the bad comments. So I, I do think it's redeemable in the sense that it, it would. I don't think we're going to get to see changed behaviour in season three. I think it will be the sacrifice. So one of two things can redeem you to do something very big to make up for your mistake to atone or a slow progress of changed behaviour. And I, I agree. I think it, I'm with Bex on this, the sense that it's going to be a sacrifice rather than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever form that ends up taking. But yeah, our next book is going to be Miss Peregrine's Home for Unusual Children. And who's been very was that excited again? to read? Who's what was that? Like, who's oh did... boy, it was that... Robbie's. Robbie. Rob- yeah. Robbie. Robbie. Nice. I'm interested. Right. We don't know much about Robbie, unfortunately. We don't. But... We, don't. No. we just know that he went in for Jamie. Uh... Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> And I will say, like, I'm doing a bit of research on YA novels at the moment for for my academic stuff. And there's so much packed into those novels that, um, you know, they're both accessible in terms of reading level and deep in terms of the the content that they address. So I think it was a wise decision uh, on Ted's part. To oh, I agree. And this this what have, have you all read this book? It's good. Yes. It's a good and, one. I I know time-wise I may end up with an audio this time. I'm curious to see how they'll do the audio because there's so many images in the book that... Yeah. Um... Well, that was fantastic. I really felt like I learned a lot. I want to also say thank you very much to the people who sent in comments for us. We love yes. it. Please keep them coming. You yes. probably will spot something at some point that we don't. And, you know, the more of us, the better. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, I love the, love the insight that you all provided. That's, yeah. you know... Just really adding layers on to, to mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Thanks for joining us. Um, I hope you've learned as much as I have today. And we will see you next time when we discuss Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Bye, Bye thank you. Time for some comments from you, Greyhounds. Horticulture Baby says, I think the Iron Giant also shows them that being tender and caring and a team player is exactly the right thing to be in certain situations. And being aggressive and a fighter, no matter how powerful, is the wrong thing to be. Essentially like when Hogarth talks about Superman. Sure, he's famous now, but he started off just like you, crash-landed on Earth and didn't know what he was doing. But he only uses his powers for good, never evil. I love this thought from Bohemian Sis, who says, I'm inclined to think that it's not just Ted alone who is selecting the books for each player. I imagine he and Coach Beard go over every player and discuss which book would best be suited for each one and which movie to show on their pre-game movie night. Follow us on Twitter at Beards Book Club or send an email to us at coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. If you prefer the video version, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Coach Beards Book Club, now.